What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the Mitch Davis Show.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. Uh, find the website, the Mitch Davis Show.com. The SoundCloud is back everywhere you can find podcasts Apple, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube. The podcast will be everywhere. So check out the Mitch Davis Show podcast as we inch closer to another great season of Southeastern Conference football on the Mitch Davis Show. On today's episode, on Friday, August the 4th of 2023, going to be joined by Connor O'Gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com, one of the greatest guys in the SEC media industry, Uh, genuine, just a super nice guy. Going to be joining me momentarily to talk all things Southeastern Conference football ahead of the 2023 season where it's right around the corner folks week zero opens up for the southeastern conference with vanderbilt and hawaii on that august the 26th uh, game so it should be really exciting season of southeastern conference football again i'm your host mitch davis founder of the mitch davis show.com podcast host of the mitch davis show follow me on twitter mitch davis underscore eight and facebook and instagram as well at the mitch davis show check out especially the instagram page uh, on saturday going to be live uh, from Starkville, Mississippi, for the tw- second practice of the 2023 Mississippi State football uh, fall camp. Should be a really exciting time to see what Coach Arnett and his team has planned for the Mississippi State faithful. Uh, pick last in the SEC, uh, West, Western Division, but that is a stop Coach Arnett and the Bulldogs from continuing to get better and really hopefully uh, having a good season as they Look to turn the page on a new era of Mississippi State football. Again, I'm your host, Mitch Davis. Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. And a very, very special thank you to our guest today, uh, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. A very big honor and always fun to have him on to talk Southeastern Conference football. What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Got a uh, friend of mine and now kind of a regular on the show, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South, joining me now. Connor? Welcome on the Mitch Davis Show. A lot of craziness going on around the country. We're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the football ahead for the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, last I heard, it was uh, the month of August. And once August rolls around, that means we got camp. We have intriguing storylines. You know, this morning, I was actually writing my 25 burning questions for the SEC this year. Just the SEC. And I rattled off this list like, boom, nothing, cranked out 3,000 words. And it's like, it, it kind of got me back into that mindset of, oh, yeah, there are a million intriguing things that are happening on the field. And if you're one of those people that's just like, oh, conference realignment, don't want to hear any more about this, fear not. Football is on its way, and we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff, I'm sure, uh, over the course of this interview. Let's talk about just kind of what you're what you've learned in media days. Obviously, you were in Nashville. I couldn't go this year, but I watched on on the TV. What did you learn? What are your takeaways from media days from Commissioner Sankey and the other coaches? Yeah, I think it's interesting when you hear Jimbo Fisher continue trying trying to be coy about the Bobby Petrino play calling deal. And it's not so much if because I think if we just looked at this on a micro scale and said, all right, what does it really matter? What a head coach is telling us about who's calling plays here, what the offense is going to look like there. Everything changes when you have a contract like Jimbo Fisher's and hearing him continue to get defensive about what the offense is going to look like here, what's going to look like there. Someone who has never 
had to answer to anyone on the offensive side of the ball in two decades. And that's the same thing with Bobby Petrino. Everybody now is more intrigued because of how Jimbo Fisher has handled this, as opposed to taking the Eli Drinkowitz approach, which we heard at SEC media days where he's like, yeah, I realized like, you know, to borrow the line from Tosh with like, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I I can't be calling plays anymore. I have to give up duties. That's why I went out and hired Kirby Moore. And instead Jimbo Fisher continues to say like, you know, like we're going to have a lot of different input on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I thought it was interesting hearing him talk about that. And uh, I, I missed Mike Leach. I, I, I missed Mike Leach. That that was one of my my takeaways from media days is we don't really have a whole lot of those coaches who will kind of break up the monotony of coach speak and give us something that's really intriguing that everybody just feels like they're totally locked into these. Some of these coaches just go into 15, 20 minute monologues where we're like, man, Nobody cares. Like, let's let's get to the questions. Let's get to stuff that's actually interesting. And instead, we just get it's it's a bit much at times. And we needed someone like Mike Leach to break up the week. I will say I'm heading down to Starkville tomorrow morning for practice and going to watch Mississippi State practice. And it is going to be weird because last year I was doing the same thing. And you had Coach Leach kind of cutting up and talking about everything but football. And, you know, I kind of miss that. Now that they say the aliens are a real deal, I kind of miss Mike Leach, and I think that that is a very good takeaway. I want to ask you, there was a picture posted yesterday on the Alabama Twitter page of Nick Saban after his press conference. The picture has made its rounds. Are you believing the Alabama dynasty is over, or are you kind of seeing this resurgence of Nick Saban? we got to put this 9-3 to three crap to bed. We do. Like, like come on, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I get it. I get it. We we watched the spring game. We saw Alabama struggle at the quarterback position with turnovers, stuff like that. And, and after the last couple of years that's been, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of justification for having skepticism. Okay. This is an Alabama team that in its 16 SEC games in the last two years, it's been a one score game in the fourth quarter 12 times. And they're power five games last year. One score game in the fourth quarter six times. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, you're two plays away from making the college football playoff. That's garbage. They had five games that were decided in the final minute. They won three of them. So I don't want to hear about, oh, they're two plays away. No, no, no. They played with fire all year. And they actually did pretty well in those closing situations because they had Bryce Young. But here's the thing that I keep coming back to. If we're going to say that Alabama's done and this this dynasty is over, if there was ever a chance for Alabama to have one of those years, this is it. This is the first time since 2015 that they haven't been picked to win the SEC, which they shouldn't be. Georgia, the two-time defending national champs, they deserve to be picked to win the SEC for the first time since 2004. All right, But Alabama in the three instances since it became Alabama in which it was not picked to win the SEC, 2009, 2012, 2015, what happened all three of those years? They won the SEC. They won a national championship. This is kind of the Alabama way. And seeing that picture of Saban, we're kind of reminded like he doesn't hate the fact that people are doubting his team. Last year is totally different as nearly a unanimous preseason number one. And you've got the two household names in the sport with Bryce Young and Will Anderson. What people don't talk about enough is the fact that since 2005, so we can go back now 18 years It's only been one time that the preseason number one in the AP poll has won a national championship, and it was actually 2017 Alabama. Having some lowered expectations, which that's what this will be for Alabama, probably lowest preseason expectations they've had since 2009, might be exactly what the doctor ordered, and this might actually wake up a new part of the Alabama dynasty. I don't have them winning a national championship, but I do have them winning the West. I do have them getting to Atlanta with a playoff chance, and who knows what's going to happen after that. I will say people forget that Alabama won a national championship three years ago. People forget that they won the COVID year 
And they they beat a really good team in the national championship game. So people forget that they won a national championship three years ago. I don't know what people expect them to been to a national championship two of the last three years. Like you know, like as much as we talk about, okay, you know, last year, first year since 2010 that they had two pre-iron bowl losses. They have been to a national championship two of the last three years. So this belief that that they're just about to fall off the face of the earth, go nine and three, finish third in the West. I, I'm not buying it. Staying in the uh, state of Alabama, obviously, look at what Hugh Freeze is doing on the recruiting trail right now. And nobody really expects him to have a great season this year, kind of maybe seven and five, something like that. But building for the future, talk about what Hugh Freeze is doing on the planes right now. Yeah, it's really impressive from a recruiting standpoint. And, and the the job that he's doing with the 2024 class, anytime you're flipping a five-star receiver from Alabama to Auburn, you're doing something right. And especially at a place that hasn't had a top 40 passing offense in the 21st century, this is also the worst two-year stretch of Auburn football in the 21st century. First time they've had consecutive losing seasons. And what he was tasked to do was overhaul that roster. And I think in this offseason, when we bring up that word roster overhaul, we default to Deion Sanders and what he's doing at Colorado. It's very different at Colorado where you had 57 departures as opposed to the roster overhaul that Hugh Freeze has undertaken at Auburn, which in my opinion is a lot more sustainable that model and doing it through the transfer portal, being willing to say like, yeah, if the majority of my offensive line, my starting offensive line, a place that's been a real Achilles heel over the last two years, if the majority of those guys are, are a group of five starters that, that come in and, and you know and, and give us a higher floor in year one, so be it. That's fine. I love that Hugh Freeze has taken that approach. I, I always have defaulted to my my belief that his his recruiting, his understanding of the transfer portal, that's not really going to be what determines his time at Auburn. Even the quarterback development, I think he's going to be great at that. It's just going to be how he handles everything else. So far, I think he's handled everything else really well. He's been very self-aware. I thought he was the big winner at SEC Media Days. I thought he was the most self-aware coach with understanding that he has to lower expectations. He's got a lot of questions coming in. He's not puffing his chest out year one at Auburn. If they go eight and four, in the regular season and win one or two of those games that we think they're not supposed to, that's one of those teams where, man, all of a sudden, just like that, next year, 12-team playoff, we're talking about them in a totally different way, and it kind of erases what's been a really down period in Auburn history with this Brian Harson saga. We're going to stay in the SEC West, go over to the Magnolia State, where Mississippi State is rebuilding kind of a little bit. From the ground up, a program after losing Mike Leach, tragically. I want to ask you about Zach Garnett. I thought he won media days, and I've kind of been around the program a little bit since moving down here to Mississippi. Talk about what you would expect to see out of Mississippi State this year. Yes, same. And getting to see them a little bit up close. I covered I covered the bowl game in Tampa, um, right down, you know, an hour and a half away from me here in Orlando. And have gotten to know Zach Arnett, had him on the show and talked with him for about a half hour or so about kind of his roots and everything that, that he's done to get to this point. And it's somebody that I, I find myself believing in. And I, based on the fact that they were picked to finish seventh in the West, I think there are a lot of people who are doubting him. And they're doubting him probably for a few reasons. One is that he's considered kind of an outsider, despite the fact that obviously he spent the last three years at Mississippi State. Mississippi State fans will tell you he's been kind of the glue of that program during some of those offensive droughts that they've had. And this is someone who is the second youngest head coach in Power Five. The only coach that's younger than him at the Power Five level is Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. He's the youngest coach that we've had in the SEC since Lane Kiffin at Tennessee in 2009. So there are questions about Zach Arnett 
in this role, someone who will, he'll be the first person to tell you, he's like, I got a weird resume. You're not supposed to get to this place when you've only got two schools on your resume. And that's what he has, of course, working for a very long time under Rocky Long. And now seeing what he's going to do as a head coach, I love what he's done early on. I thought the Kevin Barbet hire to run that offense and not necessarily just go with what's worked and go with the air raid probably made more sense. And at the time I was saying, oh, go after Garrett Riley, do this, do that. And you kind of look at it and you're like, well, Mike Leach offense is one of one. And air raid is different when we associate with Mike Leach as opposed to, you know, the Lincoln Riley, Garrett Riley, that that different, those different disciples. But yeah, I'm fascinated to see how this plays out. I think too many people are sleeping on him, sleeping on the fact that he returns his two most important players that defense, Nathaniel Watson, Jeff Johnson, and then Will Rogers. What's he going to do with this scheme change? Can they overhaul that personnel the right way to keep this thing running as, you know, Will Rogers could easily end up as the SEC's all-time leading pass this season. Um, but I, I do think Zach Arnett is somebody that's being slept on and somebody that should have some expectations better than seventh in the West. Looking over a little bit to the West, you got Ole Miss and obviously what Lane Kiffin's been able to do in the transfer portal has been fantastic. They got one of the best quarterback rooms in the SEC. Talk about the expectations for the Rebels and, and kind of what you see and what you're hearing about Ole Miss this year. It's been great that Jackson Dart has had this offseason. Everything has indicated that the turnover mistakes that were plaguing him in the regular season, that that he's moving beyond those. And Ole Miss fans would like to think that in year two, he's going to have a year two much like Matt Corral did in year two with Link Kiffin. I am not as optimistic about that. I am still very much in wait and see mode with Jackson Dart because – I think he does some things that are just maddening. I don't think it was a coincidence that his first rushing touchdown came in the bowl game for somebody that runs as much as he does and some of the issues that he had in the red zone with ball security. I think it's... It's a bit frustrating when you look at how they finished and the fact that he did not progress in the way that you hoped he would in his first full season as a starting quarterback at the power five level. And so that's kind of holding me back a little bit from having these expectations. And also the the history of year two running backs who are just studs as true freshmen in the SEC. It's not great. And I worry about that with Quinshawn Judkins, who had the highest power five workload in terms of touches per game of any running back in the last six years. I mean, that that guy got a ton of work and he was a, such a big part of the offense, especially, you know, Zach Evans was banged up later. Ulysses Bentley was 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 injured early. I know that there are expectations that he's going to be a much better player this year now that he's healthy, now that he's got a year in the offense. But I, I just have more questions than answers about this Ole Miss team. And, you know, the Pete Golding thing is going to be fascinating how that works at Ole Miss and seeing if he's going to rise rise to a different level with you know expectations that are very, very different at Ole Miss compared to the ones that he had to deal with at Alabama. But yeah, I just, I find myself having more questions than answers. And especially knowing the the stat that I keep bringing up about Lane Kiffin is like his entire time as a head coach, he is one in 19 in games against power five teams who have won at least nine regular season games. Last time he beat a team who won nine games in the regular season, a power five team. It was 2011 when he was the head coach at USC and he beat an Oregon team that year. So with all those things said, yeah, I, I do think that that expectations for Ole Miss should be tem- should be tempered a little bit this year. I want to look over to the SEC East. Obviously, another guy that I thought won media days, Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt Commodores, and hearing a lot of great things about the Commodores. Does Vanderbilt finally get bowl eligible this year? I'm going to say no. 
I'm going to say no. This guy was a little bit tricky. Uh, and I like Clark Lee too. And, and had him on the show earlier in the off season. And I was kind of like, all right, this, this guy, this guy is exactly what they need. I mean, he, he truly is. And when I saw that extension, I saw when Pete Thamel had the tweet of, yeah, he's extended through the rest of the decade. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, that's that's a long time from now. We're still in the first part of the 2020s to have a coach extended through 2029. You're kind of like, oh, that's crazy. And then you realize it's only a three-year extension. That's kind of the way that things have to work now. Look, they did what you could have hoped for last year. I I, I joked that they were going to be popping champagne if they hit the over on their regular season win total. And they did that by the end of September. I mean, this was a team that ended up beating Kentucky in Lexington when it's snow falling down. And then, oh, by the way, you beat Florida at home and win a game that nobody thought you had any business being in. And they are beginning to have some guys who look like they belong on an SEC field. CJ Taylor is a guy that we're probably not talking about enough. Somebody that turned down an opportunity to go to Tennessee to stay at Vandy. He's kind of going to be the stud on the back end of that group. And, you know, they they had some tough transfer portal losses. Losing Ray Davis to Kentucky, I feel like, is something that we're not talking about enough. A guy who's a thousand-yard rusher. But that team will go as A.J. Swan goes. And having him as your quarterback of the future after Mike Wright, you know, ends up you know, not necessarily staying there and deciding I'm going to go to Mississippi State instead. Um, that'll be kind of what determines whether or not they can get to that six win mark. But I think even if they don't, even if it's a slight step back, and even if you're looking up at four and eight, and you only win one SEC game or something like that. I still think Vandy's in a much better place than they were a few years ago. I want to ask you, staying in the volunteer state, obviously Tennessee champions of the Orange Bowl. They beat Alabama. They beat LSU. Had a remarkable season last year. Hendon Hooker is no longer there, but is now Joe Milton. What do you expect to see out of the volunteers? Can they repeat the success that they had last year? I think they can. I, I I think they're the most obvious candidate for aggression in the SEC. And for those saying like, oh, what you don't believe in Josh Heupel? No, I believe in Josh Heupel. I, I think Josh Heupel, all he does is crank out top eight offenses. That's what he's done each of the last five years and done so with a variety of quarterbacks. What I have a tough time believing is that Tennessee, with a schedule that still includes Georgia and Alabama every single year, uh, I have a tough time believing that they're just going to pick up where they left off after replacing their best quarterback since Peyton Manning. And they had their best season in 19 years. And that, that is not an easy thing to be able to do. You still have to show that you can win at Florida for the first time in 20 years. You still got waxed by South Carolina to end the season. Can you find a way to be able to bounce back in that game? And the the big lingering question, of course, is Joe Milton. Joe Milton is Uncle Rico. He's going to throw the football over those mountains. There's no doubt about it. The content is great. I'm here for all of it. It's fun to watch. Can Joe Milton hold down a starting job? Because this is his third opportunity to do so. He's in year six. Okay. Can he hold off Nico Iamaliava? Crush the pronunciation of that one. Can he? He actually showed that he can be one of those guys who lives up to his potential. I thought it was ridiculous that he was preseason all SEC. I think that's an absolute joke. It's a slap in the face to even a guy like Devin Leary, who comes in as the preseason ACC player of the year last year. And still we're like, ah, no, we're more sold on Joe Milton. To me, that that was absurd. I wasn't necessarily a fan of that, considering what he still has to prove. And what he still has to prove is that he can hold down that job week to week and be a true starting quarterback and not a guy who flashes here and there and makes us go ooh and ah with a throw that he makes. And I thought he was great against Clemson. It was awesome. And, you know, talking to Alex Golish this offseason, he told me, you know, the thing that that really sold him on Joe Milton was not just him doing it in practice, was was actually him dialing it back in the Vandy game and showing what he could do in the regular season finale in place of the injured Hendon Hooker. But I, I'm not sold on Tennessee. I'm not sold necessarily 
necessarily on that defense with how inconsistent they were last year that they can pick up that offense if they do have some slow moments. I think that they could regress back to kind of that eight and four mark. I want to ask you just a couple more questions, obviously going north a little bit to Lexington. Obviously, Mark Stoops has brought in arguably the best transfer quarterback in the transfer portal, Devin Leary. The Wildcats, they're having to replace Will Levis. They're having to, you know, they're bringing back Liam Cohen as offensive coordinator. Can the Wildcats or will the Wildcats finish second in the SEC East and give Georgia a challenge for the SEC East crown? I don't think so. And it's tempting to say yes, because I love a lot of the pieces. My personal doppelganger, Liam Cohen, back at Kentucky. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I love Devin Leary. I, I had no. I would have had him as a preseason All-SEC guy. Um, and, and I like the pieces that they have at receiver. It's probably the best receiver room that they've ever had. The Ray Davis edition from Vanny that we were just talking about was super underrated. This should be a better offensive line. There are a lot of things. And then on Mark Stoops defense, you just trust to be able to figure things out despite the fact that they have some key pieces to replace around J.J. Weaver. But here's the thing that I can't get past. Talk about teams that have to face Georgia and Alabama in the same year. Kentucky's one of them. Their five-game stretch to end the year is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. You have home games against Tennessee and Alabama, a couple teams that won 10 games. And then you've got three road games against teams that won at least eight games last year. Mississippi State, South Carolina, Louisville. If you go two and three in that stretch, you might be feeling good. And that's the problem is that the schedule doesn't really set up for them, especially if depth is a potential issue. Depth on the offensive line could be an issue. Those could be games where they don't even have a chance with some of these with some of those matchups in the trenches. If if offensive line depth is one of those things that kind of hurts them midseason. So that's why I can't really get there with this being one of those years, despite the fact that I like a lot of those pieces. This should be an offense that reminds us of what they were in 2021 with Will Levis, with Wondell Robinson with Chris Rodriguez, but this is still a, a gauntlet of a schedule that probably not enough people are talking about. I want to ask you just two more. We're going to wrap up with South Carolina and Georgia first about South Carolina. Beamer Ball is back, and it's kind of a sexy, trendy thing to look at and kind of to watch. What do you expect to see out of the Gamecocks this season? I'm second in the East. And look, you can poke holes in any non-Georgia team in the East. You absolutely can. And what I came back to, my rationale was, I know that they have major questions, one of which being the Spencer Rattler, Dowell Loggins relationship. How is that going to work out? What this big unknown, they, they have to get better in the trenches. They haven't finished better than 90th in the country, either defending the run or with the run. Their starting running back is to carry and joiner, converted quarterback receiver in year six. Their running back depth is a major issue for scholarship running backs. A lot of questions there. But what I always come back to with South Carolina is how many times is Shane Beamer going to have to prove us wrong before we start believing in him? The guy has won four games as a double-digit underdog. All of those games were in the month of November or later. Seven of his 15 wins were as an underdog. This is someone who continues to say, I don't care if my team's out of it in the East. I don't care if we're not necessarily going to be going to a New Year's Six Bowl. We'll just find a way to keep playing our best football down the stretch. And to me, that is such an underrated skill for a coach to be able to have, especially in this day and age with the transfer portal with nil all the temptation that kids have to get distracted once you are out of it and those preseason expectations are off the table so yeah i'm a believer that south carolina will be the second best team in the east i don't think they're going to threaten georgia or anything like that but you know getting to an eight and four overall record with like a five and three in the sec and maybe they just split unc clemson i think that's very much on the table for this team 
Last question I have for you. Obviously, everybody has talked about the off the field stuff with George and the speeding tickets and, you know, the death of uh, the player and all that stuff. But I want to ask you about the on the field because, you know, I think we get lost and distracted and Kirby's handling the off field. As important as it is, that's being handled. I want to ask you about the on the field. Carson Beck is now replacing uh, Stetson Bennett as starting quarterback. A lot of question remarks uh, around this Georgia team. Will they go for the three-peat? I mean, that's the biggest question in the elephant in the room right now. Is Georgia good enough to go for a three-peat? They're good enough, but here's how I see this playing out. I think Georgia in the national championship, they're facing Ohio State. They're up 10 at halftime. They're feeling good. Everybody's getting ready to pop champagne. Everybody's talking about how Georgia's going to become the first team to three-peat since 1936 Minnesota. Shout out to Ed Widseth. They're, they're like, hey, this is happening. And then Mike Bobo, the same Mike Bobo who's gone out on bad terms at his last three places, he rears his he rears his head, his ugly offensive head at times. And we get a reminder why you can't just assume that just because you have all the talent in the world that your scheme is irrelevant. And I know I've heard it from Georgia fans all offseason. Oh, Mike Bobo, he learned under Todd Munkin for that one year. And now he's going to take all these Todd Munkin concepts and, oh, look what he did back in 2014. Don't tell me what he did in 2014. I don't care. I do not care. If Hugh Freeze is going to get up on that podium and tell us he's no longer one of the best offensive play callers in the sport and that th- there are certain things that, that he just doesn't feel comfortable doing, I think we can say that about somebody whose last best season was 2014. So I don't necessarily want to hear about that and if that's the case tell me about Jimbo Fisher and his offensive play calling and how he's still elite at it too um I, I think the the biggest issue and the biggest question I have is that it's not Carson Beck I think Carson Beck's gonna be great I have all the Carson Beck stock I think he gets to New York I think he gets to New York and represents Georgia as a potential Heisman Trophy candidate I think he could be that good I think Brock Bowers finishes his career as the best college tight end that we have ever seen the ground game they'll figure out different options even though running back depth is kind of oddly a question for them at least it was in the spring with some of the injury issues that they had I'm not necessarily worried about that the receiver room is going to be great it's going to be a Joe Moore award potential offensive line that they could have there but it's just that question of what does that look like in those key moments because Stetson Bennett for all the criticism that that guy faced throughout his career he was brilliant in clutch moments when it got tight and it was elite competition that guy took it to a different level and yeah you can say oh what about you know the struggles against Missouri or they really couldn't score a lot of points against Kentucky. When push came to shove in the defining moment, Stetson Bennett was brilliant and he was brilliant also because he had Todd Munkin in his ear. And I think that if there's going to be one thing that holds Georgia back from winning a national championship, it's going to be replacing, in my opinion, the best coordinator of the playoff era and Todd Munkin in doing so with somebody that away from Georgia has not been very highly regarded. And I do think that the Mike Bobo hire ends up being the one thing that prevents Georgia from, from being able to win a third consecutive national championship. There's some bold takes in there. I can't wait to see uh, my Twitter feed and your Twitter feed blow up after this interview. He is Connor O'Gara. Tell where they can follow you on Twitter and find all of your amazing work there at Saturday down the South. Yeah, I appreciate that. Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it these days, uh, at CJ O'Gara, host of the Saturday down South podcast, which, Going to two episodes a week now for for the rest of the year. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, make sure to do that. And we're also at the SDS Pod and at Sat Down South on Twitter or X. I will say uh, I saw the I saw a tweet from you the other day. You guys need to bring back the hats. I used to have one in high school, and uh, the wife got rid of it when we moved down to Mississippi. But I need to uh, on record. 
get y'all to bring back the Saturday down South hats. You and Jeff Collins, you you guys have the hats. I, I know um, Chris Marler, my my coworker, he's he's got a few of those as well. I have not been able to get my hands on one of them. I would love it if they would bring back the hats. They're actually like they, they kind of fit with the current style too, like the trucker hat style. You know, the mesh back. Uh, th- those hats were they were a gem. Uh, if if we get those back, I'll, I will be wearing those all the time. I will say I had uh I still have it on my Yeti cooler, one of the Kentucky Saturday Down South stickers. Put it on my Yeti cooler for uh, freshman year of college, and uh, has yet to be pulled off of there since. Love those, man. I used to get asked about those things all the time. We used to do promotions for those stickers. I haven't got my hands on, on any of those stickers in a while, but every once in a while you'll see one of those around. It'll be like, oh man, those are great. We should we should bring those back. Yeah, we got I gotta talk to the marketing team and see what we can do. Connor, thank you so much for coming on the Mitch Davis show. Always a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. Founder of the Mitch Davis Show.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. A very special thank you to Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South for coming on the Mitch Davis Show podcast today to talk all things Southeastern Conference football. Uh, exciting times. It really is here in the Southeastern Conference as we get ready for another just heart stomping season. It's just going to be a, a great season in the Southeastern Conference. Again, as a simple reminder, follow me on social media. Mitch Davis underscore eight on Twitter or X as they call it now, uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Mitch Davis Show, and also check out the website at themitchdavisshow.com. Going to have plenty of coverage from Ole Miss and Starkville uh, over the next several days as both Ole Miss and Mississippi State uh, prepare for the 2023 season with fall camp. So it should be a really exciting time. Again, I've been your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the Mitch Davis Show.com. Very, very special thank you to Connor O'Gara for coming on the Mitch Davis Show. It's always an honor to have him on and talk Southeastern Conference football. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend.